And welcome back to Ladies First, your podcast for anything and everything women. <laughs> I'm Corey. I'm joined tonight by Elizabeth and Gretchen. Hey. Hello. And I haven't been around for a little bit because of all sorts of things, including doing my civic duty and voting, but I'm back and <laughs> I am here with one of my favorite topics, talking about lady superheroes. That's right, we're talking superheroes tonight. I hope you're going to be excited for this. Because we are. I know, like, we're pretty excited about superheroes, superhero ladies. Yeah, it's not like we write about them all the time or anything. Oh, no. <laughs> no. We don't have any... Wait, what, what are superheroes? What are comics? I don't know what those are. So to get us started, basically, you know, the 2016-2017 television season, it's running down that home stretch into the season finales um legends of tomorrow actually has theirs tomorrow night or actually i should say tuesday night because when this thing airs it's going to be on wednesday they'll have theirs tuesday night and uh the rest of the shows are running into their season finales as well so we kind of wanted to take a step back and review the ladies of dc tv and their seasonal arcs and really quickly, I want to define what we're referencing when we say DC TV tonight. And we're using a slightly narrower, narrower version. So while Gotham and iZombie and Lucifer are actually DC properties, we're only really going to be focusing in on the greater Arrowverse characters. So, you know, Supergirl, The Flash, Arrow, and Legends of Tomorrow. Um, iZombie, it is a DC property, but it is so far removed from... I don't even think I realized that that was a DC show. Most people don't. I didn't either. It (laughs) has like a comic title opening, though, but most people don't know that this is a DC title. And then the problem with Gotham is I have so many strong feelings about this, I can't limit it to a short period of time that would be required to fit them into this particular episode. And this is the guy from the OC. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah. And then Lucifer is kind of really its own little thing, and uh, we actually are going to be talking about that later on this year with uh, Fanfinity. So for tonight, we're basically talking about the Arrowverse proper. And, and, surprise, none of you saw this coming, but we're going to start with Supergirl. What? <laughs> <laughs> Now, there's this little show, we kind of watch it from time to time, it's okay, I'm I'm lying out my ass, we are kind of like Supergirl trash over on the Fundamentals, so we're going to kick it off with Supergirl, and our our format tonight, we're going to kind of be talking about every ladies, every main ladies arc that we've been watching throughout the season, so there's not going to be a whole lot of shipping going on, but we're just going to be kind of celebrating the women. Yes. Yes. So... Without further ado, let's kick it off with Supergirl herself and Kara. Mm. And what I really, really want to talk about tonight is this season, Kara is having to figure out who she is outside of the Supergirl mantle. You know, the first season she was like, who who am I as a hero? And now everybody else around her is kind of, you know, finding themselves and learning how to be their own hero. We're Kara's kind of in this, like, I have to learn who Kara is. She's pretty isolated. that's kind of in her... Yeah, she's kind of in isolated. Which is part of that. Because everyone else has something else else they're doing. Yeah, everybody else is... uh, They're growing themselves. Mm -hmm. Which is great. They need to. But Mm -hmm. unfortunately for Kara is... She doesn't know who she is either. Right. She figured out who she is as a hero, but she's still trying to figure out who Kara Zor-El slash Danvers is. Hmm. Yep. So, and especially when you compare this to what we keep finding out about these little nuggets that her parents did. Hmm. You know. Right. She's I mean, very really, much... Yeah. It piggybacks off first season, where a huge part of that was her struggling with the legacy of her mother um, in relationship to, to her Aunt Astra and kind of what that meant for her. And now, I mean, she finds out that it's not just her mom, but, like, her father 
you know, had mm-hmm. all of everything that he was doing with the experiments, and he's connected with Medusa, which almost killed all of the aliens on Earth, and, I mean, that's a whole heck of a lot for her to be thinking about. Right, but it's it's like a personal legacy for her. Yeah. It's not, oh, who am I under a cape? Mm-hmm. Wynn and James are becoming heroes, and Monel is becoming Monel, and... Alex and Maggie are doing their own thing, so Car is kind of over here as, well, what am I? Hmm. And I thought it was interesting because we got to see Jean and Megan find some resolution and some peace with who they were. Hmm. And I'm wanting to see where this comes in for Kara. Right, because every other main character who is an alien has had some kind of connection to their home planet and what that means for them as a person now that they live on earth as a refugee this season like mm-hmm. you said john and mcgon and monel i mean they're all aliens they're all refugees living on earth and they've all had to kind of figure out well who does that mean now that i'm a person here living on earth apart from my planet um in in John and you mean even in Monel's case, like the vast majority of their, or if not everyone else who's in their species is dead, mm-hmm. and the same thing applies to Kara. And we still haven't quite seen what that means for her. She hasn't quite faced that same reality yet. Well, and the problem with Kara is Jean gets to be his own person. Megan is learning to be her own person. Monel is getting to be his own person after casting off and refuting Daxamite culture. Kara is under this giant paragon shadow called Superman. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I do not envy her for this. That is a large freaking shadow. Well, that's the problem is that um, it's Kara, it's not just the humongous legacy she has on her shoulders because Kal-El, he he sort of has the legacy, but to him, the, the House of El sigil and such, it's more of a not quite a costume but it's sort of a it's a symbol and an ideology to him yeah it's academic to him or rather it's it's a history that he doesn't grasp personally for her she remembers what these things were and also she just really hasn't had five minutes to sit down and actually think about this i mean i don't think she necessarily wants to think about it it's not something that's easy to think about especially considering like the brief moment that you get in medusa with her sort of grappling with what her father did it's not really touched back on i hope they go back to that because that's some heavy shit right Mm -hmm. right so i mean we've seen how this has been developing over this arc and honestly i don't know that i want them to wrap it up this season i think this needs to be something that continues Mm -hmm. but i i am okay with this being the empire strikes back season for her in the sense of like it's not really resolved but something we've we've reached that crucible it doesn't really need to be resolved in this season i think because this season was really more about developing the menagerie of heroes she has around her developing the team so it at the end of this season if we have a solid team developed if we get monel to the point where where we need him to be and we have alex and maggie and then we have john and then maybe mcgann would come back but we and then wind is coming into his own so we've established the team around her and then in season three we can really start to delve into her personally Mm -hmm. right i think i mean i definitely i like that direction um i will say i think that i would have appreciated that direction more if they had not set up the season to be exploring that specifically, if that makes sense. Like the, That's a good I mean, point, yeah. Like, the first yeah. two episodes of the season were very much hammering home the, like... I mean, Carr even says it herself. This is about me learning... You know, last year was about me learning how to be Supergirl. This year is about me learning to be Kara. And that seems to be the major direction of the show, and that somewhere along the line that seems to have gotten lost a little bit. Um, I do think that there's not enough time to fully resolve that with, I don't with think there was enough left. time to resolve that in one season to begin with. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's the problem, is they kind of presented it to us like it's going to be resolved in this season. And that's a lot more intangible than learning how to be a superhero, to me. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's basically what being an adult is. (laughs) Though, speaking of adulting, let's move on to everybody's favorite big sister. Oh, yay. Thank you for that segue. You're welcome. (laughs) Okay, The Walking Emotional Disaster Part 1 that I I call Alex Danvers, um, she has had a season. Oh, man, has she had a season? Yeah. I mean, we know season one, it was all about being Cara Danvers' big sister, like the big sister protector. Mm-hmm. And that was that role, like, she really took that seriously, probably more than she should have, <laughs> to the point where there is some unresolved tension between her and her little sister, but... Season two, I think, was just this really beautiful unfolding of, okay, let's unclench and, <laughs> you know, start to see who you are outside of Cara Danvers' big sister. Mm-hmm. Right. If, I mean, Elizabeth and I pointed this out a little bit in our season one retrospectives on Supergirl is that, you know, we could have maybe done with a little bit more character development for Alex season one i mean she was a great character still it just would have been nice to see as you said more of her outside of being car's big sister and boy did we get that this season i mean yeah (laughs) in spades right (laughs) this feels in some ways i mean like very much she is the second lead of the show oh yeah yeah they are absolutely treating her that way right which is amazing, especially given that her arc is her coming out story and figuring out that mm-hmm. she's a woman-loving woman. Like, to have that be, like, the secondary arc of the season is, I mean, it's huge. And we well, also, I say, we... No, I would say um, her coming out arc is the 2A arc. Right, yeah. 2B. Well, good correction. 2B, we get Alex as the sort of renegade shepherd hero. That once she's secure in her relationship, she really gets to shine. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was going to say, um, right. we got little glimpses of Alex could be the uh, renegade to Kara's Paragon last season. Mm-hmm. But we really got to see that uh, Alex kind of stepped that up. Um, when uh, Back in episode two, when that renegade fire alien had taken Maggie and Alex just whips out a bar stool <laughs> and practically crushes some poor bastard's sternum or um, when she's trying to find out where Jeremiah is. I mean, she definitely falls into the renegade category. Like mm-hmm. Elizabeth said, Oh, by the way, when we say renegade and Paragon, we're talking about mass effect um, because we have to. Yeah. But she really is, showing us like this season like her own brand of heroism Heroism? yeah (laughs) she she is not a by the numbers person that Kara is and it's kind of nice to have that contrast because i think it elevates both of them she had that whole episode exodus which i actually i timed it like a full solid like 22 minutes of the episode was just alex and it was things like like her um, having the dead drop on that the bomb trigger, and there was that moment where you're like, "Oh, she's not actually going to do it." Like, "Oh no, she actually did because she's Alex and she's a, a a little bit unhinged, but you know, for a good cause." Well, and that honestly, I remember Gretchen and I talking um, that Mister and Mrs. Mix- Mixes Pitlick episode where we were like, "Man, Kara is her mother's daughter when she was." gonna blow up the fortress of solitude with both of them in it oh yeah i do think she may have gotten a little bit of that from alex as well (laughs) maybe yeah i think it might be a danvers sisters thing because way back in season one we got (laughs) you know kara's you know she threw lord maxwell lord in prison and um you know for threatening her family like both of them have a little bit of that like when pushed to extremes they will take extreme yes. measures what is it um, saying the danvers sisters we should come with a warning yeah. yes right you you don't want to push a danvers sisters over the edge because when you do um oh boy do things 
things happen. Like buildings, blow things up. explode. <laughs> like, literally, <laughs> things literally blow up. <laughs> but while I was talking about emotional disaster uh, number one, there's also a second part of walking emotional disaster. And it forms my favorite relationship of the season. And her name is Maggie Sawyer. <laughs> and I promised Elizabeth I would let her talk about this, but she only has five minutes because we have everybody else we still have to work through. <laughs> oh my so, God. Elizabeth, okay. your time's starting. Go. <clears throat> okay, where to start? Um, so, the thing that I like most about the way that they scripted Maggie, because we had uh, we had talked about in a previous podcast that was way back in like podcast three in the Supergirl ships, was that we wanted to see more of Maggie, more of Maggie's characterization. And I had said that it's probably going to be developed through Alex's lens, because how else are we going to do it? Um, and that's what they did, but they did it right in that they sort of staged these relationship moments that are these sort of stumbling blocks of these fights. But as we talk, as Gretchen and I have talked about in the reviews, that the way that Maggie and Alex fight is productive. It's that they they do fight, but they fight for the right reasons. And so you can also see this progression where you have, say, um, the fight in the Valentine's Day episode, where it's this really like awful heart wrenching moment, which is honestly like one of my favorite moments of the season. Um, but that Maggie walks out after it and then the next time they have this really heart-wrenching moment maggie just obviously wants to walk out the door but doesn't she sits down on the couch and then we have alex saying like well i'm here to help you heal so there's this really nice progression in their relationship of how they're learning to communicate together and even like going back to 2a where you have um that they have the miscommunication that Alex kisses her, and then there's sort of those awkward, the awkward in-between period where they're like, oh, well, or where Alex is like, oh, it's totally fine. We know that it's not. And then eventually Alex fucking snaps, and Maggie is just floored by this because she's like, oh, well, you said it was fine because Maggie's not particularly um, emotionally intuitive. But You if don't you... say. Yeah. But if you view the whole relationship as an arc, it works very nicely because there is always forward progress. They are always learning from each other. They do fight, but they don't fight without a purpose. They and don't go for the jugular. No, they, they don't. And they often go for a compromise. And sometimes it's even hard for me to consider it fighting so much as it is just like, this is the course of how normal relationships go. Like, miscommunications mm -hmm. happen. People talk past each other. People have wounds that someone else might accidentally trigger by saying something unintentionally. And, like, there are less fights than just, oh, right, yeah, this is what happens in relationships when you get two people who, I mean, any two people, much less two people with the kinds of baggage that both Maggie and Alex have. And yet, even when they, if, even if they don't reach resolution immediately, they reach resolution in a reasonable and matured amount of time and in a yes, mature exactly. way. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Which so is, like, which to me that says something because Maggie and Alex can have disagreements and they can resolve them like adults. Maggie and Kara, I mean, not Maggie and Kara, Alex and Kara, when they have disagreements, hmm. Alex normally goes for the jugular with her. Yeah. So it's very interesting for me to kind of see that dichotomy between the two of them because she is so like hashtag relationship goals with Maggie. <laughs> but if yeah. she's in an argument with Kara, I mean, Alex is kind of going for blood. Mm. I mean, you definitely sense that they're, despite them having talked about certain aspects of their childhood, like that there's still some underlying, I think, resentment on Alex's part towards... Not maybe not Car as a person, but like what Car coming into her, yeah the circumstances of Kara coming into her family and what that meant for her. Because well, yeah, right. she says things to Kara that I'm like, whoa, dude, Alex. Calm, yeah, and we calm, and we calm dealt yourself, honey. <laughs> and we dealt with some of that in two A with how Alex came out and with them sort of talking this over and Kara saying like, I'm sorry 
that I didn't give you the safe space you needed to feel like you were a... I'm sorry that I didn't give you the safe space you needed to be honest with these feelings, that I didn't give you that. Which, I mean, makes sense. Right. But But at at the same time, though, Kara is so pro-Maggie. Oh, yes. That I'm wondering, I I kind of hope Maggie, because Wynn has told Alex to take a chill pill when it comes to (laughs) what she says to Kara. So I'm hoping in season three we can get a little more Danvers Sisters resolution with Maggie kind of yanking her girlfriend to the side and, you know, just kind of spraying her with the water bottle and saying chill. (laughs) Right, because we don't always know that, like, the things that we, like, it if you fall into a pattern of talking to a family member a certain way, you don't always realize that it's mm-hmm. problematic and that you'd never talk to anyone else that way. Like, yeah. Yes. I'm sure that Alex probably has not reflected on the fact that like, she says things to Kara that like, she would never dream of saying to Maggie ever in a million years. Well, there was a no, turnaround in Exodus. Cause there was a turnaround in Exodus where Kara, and even like, I just, I do like that when Kara walks and she's like, Oh, Hey Maggie, which acknowledges that the relationship is real and a thing despite mm-hmm. not being actively in your face. But that after that interaction, Maggie is basically ride or die, but that's a very specific situation. I can't imagine Maggie would always have that reaction. Yeah. Right. Oh, we're running out of time. <laughs> Okay, Supergirl, I'm sorry. We love you, but we have to move on. I said what I needed to say. Yes. <laughs> to Legends of Tomorrow. <gasps> again, again, Legends of Tomorrow season finale is airing on Tuesday night. And I'm just going to say this right now. If Amaya stays dead, I am going to riot. So if you hear this vast disturbance and, you know, just this little bitch fit on Tuesday night, that's me. And you know what <laughs> happened. But we'll get to that in just a minute. We're going to start out with uh, Sarah Lance, my beautiful bisexual former assassin. My life goals. So some background on Sarah in case you um, are kind of just tuning in. Obviously, you know about Supergirl because, again, we don't shut up about it. But for (laughs) Legends of Tomorrow, uh, Sarah, Sarah Lance was Laura Lance's little sister. And she came about on Arrow where she was on the ship with Oliver Queen that went missing that sent him to his little crazy island getaway for five years. She was Isn't on that literally ship called too. purgatory. Something like that to that <laughs> effect. But um she wound up falling in with the League of Assassins and she fell in love with Rasha Ghoul's uh, second daughter, uh Nysa. And they were a thing. And eventually she left the League of Assassins and moved back to Starling City, now Star City. And she'd started working as the Canary. And, you know, she kind of ran into Oliver here and there before they finally started working together. And we found out in uh, Arrow that she'd had a relationship with Nysa because Nysa comes in to bring her back. And we actually get to see, like, no, they show that this was a real relationship. It wasn't titillating. Hmm. Right. So, it was great. It was like, oh, this could be open-ended. We keep going on. And then they killed Sarah. And a lot of people were really, (laughs) really not happy about it. A little bit. So... Yeah, that's an understatement. The Lance sisters just get the shit stick on their <laughs> rope. Yeah. But they brought her back. From this thing called the Lazarus Pit, they brought her back. She didn't have her soul in her body, so she was kind of a raging killing machine that had no remorse. And then, like, Arrow got all wiggity-woo and decided it needed to dip its toe into magic and brought in John Constantine <laughs> to force her soul back into her body. And, you know, Sarah's dead. She's not dead. She's a killing zombie-type person. She's had her soul forced back into her body. So by the time Legends of Tomorrow actually started, Sarah's kind of been through the ringer. 
did someone it's comic books I was gonna say, had someone just finished watching like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something? Because that sounds like Angel. <laughs> so she is starting Legends of Tomorrow. Laurel, uh, the Black Canary, actually, her older sister tells her, "You need to go and do this, and you know, finish finding yourself again." And she has a new suit made for her, and she's like, "You're the White Canary now." Mm. So this starts. And my beautiful little baby of a disaster kind of muddles her way through season one, learning how to have a family again. And she starts having this found family with the other legends. And by the end of season one, she's kind of refound herself. And she's pretty much reclaimed who she was. Hmm. So starting season two, some shenanigans happen. And she suddenly, <laughs> Rip Hunter, their captain and time master, is suddenly gone. And suddenly Sarah finds herself with the mantle of captain forced upon her. Who's Rip Hunter? So she just... Rip Hunter? Oh, I know who he is, but I don't care. Because Sarah Lance is now the captain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so she finds herself assuming the mantle of captain because for a while they kind of like, oh, well, it's Stein, or oh, it's this person, and... The Justice League, Amaya kind of even is like, okay, but you're listening to her. So they eventually like, yeah, no, Sarah's obviously our captain. So now she's the captain and in charge of this new ragtag ba- band of found family she has. Mm. So this entire season has seen her, you know, be shit mom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she essentially has kind of grown into this role of like, I'm the captain, I have to care for everybody. And you really see these lovely shining moments where she acknowledges to everybody how much she cares about them. But what I love so, 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 so much is they, at every chance they get, acknowledge Sarah's bisexuality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even when, like, Malcolm Merlin, played by John Barman, is like, oh, you can have any guy you want, or girl, or girl. They constantly, like, even the villains don't erase that part of her identity. They acknowledge she's bisexual. The show narrative, the very first episode, she bones the Queen of France. Um, (laughs) In a recent episode when they were back in Camelot, she almost bones Guinevere. Hashtag Uh, like, Yeah, like, she literally almost (laughs) becomes Lance a lot. (laughs) And the only reason she doesn't get it on with Guinevere is because Ray Palmer walks in. So I walk out the century. Yeah, I know, but I loved that the show just it does not ignore any of her identity. It the good, the bad, whatever she is, like she is just this beautiful walking disaster of a human being who is holding it together with like Elmer's glue and duct tape and a couple pieces of shoestring, and she makes it work. I think what I love most about the fact that it was John, that John Barrowman's character who who said that about her having any, you know, man or woman that she wanted was because she kind of reminds me of Jack Harkness, like from Doctor oh, Who. Oh God! <coughs> like who she was does. just like like charm. I didn't think about of, that. Like, you just made me choke on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, she does. I mean, like the the ability to charm literally anything. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. No, I totally see that. So yeah, I just love. I wonder if they did that on purpose because because she does just reminds me of like the female, not entirely, but like she has a bit of that like female version of Jack Harkness in her. Yeah, she reminds me of Commander Shepard. <laughs> Everyone reminds you of Mass Effect, Elizabeth. That's not true. Name me one person. You. What? Why why can't I be part of Mass Effect? <laughs> what is wrong with me? Well I mean you don't own a gaming console, so I mean We have talked about this. I do not have the coordination to properly play a game. Well that's fine, that's why you watch me do it. Um So well, why no. can't I be a part of Mass Effect then? <clears throat> Alright, fine. You can be uh Who do you talk I don't know. to Mass Effect too? I am so mortally offended right now. <laughs> anyway, no, what I meant, 
<laughs> what I meant was um, by Sarah Lance reminding me of Commander Shepard, or specifically FemShep, it's that sort of um, idea that you are sort of flying by the seat of your pants. And while this narrative is common with male Wouldn't characters... Wouldn't writer, though? Oh, writer to... Well, no, writer to no, an no, but degree. I'm not part of Mass Effect. No, not at all. No, we had this conversation about three hours ago, so you're cheating. No, so Commander... <sighs> Fine. Um, Commander Shepard is the hero you want to be. Writer is the person you actually are. But either way, the analogy works, because Sarah Lance is sort of flying by the seat of her pants. There really isn't a guidebook for this, and so she just sort of stumbles her way through history um, I th- and I through think history's she's women. A writer. I, I agree. I'm going to say she's a writer. But she is. She's amazing and she's funny and she is snarky and she has a deadpan that can rival any other male superhero out there. I mean, and she really is given a lot of beats that are normally given to male superheroes, from what I understand. Yes. 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 I mean, and also, like, Amaya is, um, that's Vixen. And Amaya is actually the contemporary Vixen's grandmother. And we wound up getting Amaya because when DC and CW hired a modern Vixen's actress, they only contracted her for X amount of episodes. Mm. And then when they decided, oh, we want to bring her back, she had already been booked for something else. Oops. But it gave us... It gave us Maisie Richardson Sellers, and I think she's done a phenomenal job with this character. And I love this character because she's a black African woman from the 1940s. And she's the only female of color or woman of color in the Justice Society of America. And she is also in a relationship with their leader, Rex Tyler, or Our Man. That nobody really knows about because, again, you know, white guy dating a black lady at that time mm-hmm. was not exactly safe. And she winds up joining the Legends because Zoom, or Ebert Thawne, one of the uh, members of the Legion of Doom that the Legends are trying to fight, uh, murdered Rex Tyler. And Amaya was the one who found him. Hmm. So, you know, she gets her vengeance britches on and she's like, I'm going to go with you guys and I'm going (laughs) to find Zoom. So that's how she winds up with them this season. And I really like her because she is such an interesting contrast to Sarah in the sense that she has it together so much from experience. But then she's also one of the (laughs) only people who reaches out to uh, Mick Rory. And actually makes an effort to understand him and appreciates how he thinks that, yeah, sometimes you have to take the renegade route. And sometimes, yeah, she takes the renegade route because that's what gets stuff done. But it's more calculated on her part, or rather it's more, it's more an an educated or academic sort of exercise. With Sarah, Sarah just sort of... Yeah, no, Sarah is quite literally flying by the seat of her pants. Yeah. Um, um, Amaya has a lot more um, foresight in certain situations, I would say. Which would make sense. But she's also, she's also very interesting, though, because she's kind of our marker for when they're in different eras of time. They go to the 1980s. And she is so disappointed that women are still, you know, where they are at the time. That they haven't had... Right? all of these rights mm-hmm. that she thought they would have had by now. Right. I think something that's nice oh. about Legends of Tomorrow is that they don't shy away from this. It's a oh, common no. thing that they do as they're jumping around time, but especially if they're doing the contemporary ages, anything between, like, say, like the 1940s to the 1980s, they do acknowledge the problems of the era, and they do it quite mm-hmm. bluntly. Yeah. Well, there's an episode where they have to go back to the antebellum South during the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And um, Jax has to go into a plantation that owns slaves. And he's caught. And Amaya has to go in to help him. And there's a specific moment where one of the women recognizes the amulet that Amaya wears as being of her tribe. Wow. 
And that's what gets them to trust these other two to lead them out of there. So, I mean, that's something I really love about Legends of Tomorrow is it is so silly until it's not. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Mm. Which is honestly, it's comic books at its best, though, is that it is silly until it's not. Yeah, they lure you in, and then the moment the gut punch happens, I mean, it's just, you are completely winded. Like, wow. Which is why I was really angry when Captain Cold killed her last week, and I'm going to be really, really, really cranky if she doesn't get brought back tonight. We'll see. I know. Fingers crossed for you. I would hope we'd get to see her for the next season, but if they're going to actually reset time like I think they are, then this may be her final outing with the legends and if so i have really enjoyed her arc and what she's brought to the team i do hope that they keep up that if they get a new woman again she's a woman of color because kendra in season one or hot girl was also a woman of color so i'm hoping they keep that up mm-hmm. yep. and you know don't leave her dead <laughs> no no you never want that <laughs> Though we're uh, we're gonna actually uh we spent quite a bit of time more than I anticipated on Legends, but it was worth talking about. So we're gonna jump over to Arrow really quick and touch on Felicity. And there has been a lot written about Felicity. You know, you either love her or you hate her. Um, we're just gonna be talking about her briefly this season. Uh, last season we saw her end her relationship with Oliver. This season uh, she actually started dating another detective, and then Oliver murdered him. And because to of Oliver, yeah, to Oliver's credit, he was being manipulated by the big season villain Prometheus, and he thought he was chasing after Prometheus. So that's what Felicity's been dealing with, and she finally kind of had a return to origin moment, because when we first meet her in Arrow, she's very much like this hacker, this really techie person, and she'd moved away from the hacking And this season, that kind of came full circle for her. And she was approached by this hacker collective that had really admired her work that she used to do. And now she's um, kind of fallen in with them again because they're able to get her information to get stuff done that she can't do with Team Arrow. Mm -hmm. So this hacker collective, Helix, um, you know, they help her get information that actually clears Diggle's name from a frame-up job he was set on. Um, So this next episode, this next couple of episodes are really kind of seeing it's Felicity and, you know, Team Helix versus Team Arrow because she's really starting to lean in on them to get things done. Partially because, you know, Ollie is... Well, Oliver is Oliver, and, like, making (laughs) bad decisions is his job. But also just because we're kind of seeing this as, like, a source of empowerment for herself. And whether this is going to be a good decision or a bad decision, it's she's doing it for her, and it has really nothing to do with Oliver. And it's the first time since the series had her on that I've kind of seen her as, like, okay, this is her. It's not Olicity. It's not Felicity Team Arrow. This is like this is Felicity doing Felicity. Oh, the the path to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah, which she did and, ask and, and, Yeah, that's a humongous theme of Arrow, so this feels very appropriate. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But I know, Gretchen, like we've talked before, you know, about things we've seen women get especially on DC TV that normally only the men get. And right. for Felicity, she is the only tech lady in any of the DC shows. You've got Cisco, you've got Wynn, but it's just Felicity. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's why like I don't I don't follow Arrow, but like what you're saying really disappoints me because, you know, when I was doing my write up on on the lady geniuses of the of DC TV. I mean, Felicity Smoke was one of the ones that that struck me as being so fascinating because mm-hmm. she's so smart and she's she so is. gifted. Mm-hmm. And you know, kind of reducing her to primarily being a love interest just feels like a waste of such a potentially really compelling female character. And so I hope that like 
wherever she goes next, like, that, you know, Arrow gives her space to to be competent. Well, I, I think guess. that's what like, I really enjoyed like, about this season is because mm-hmm. we've gotten to see her be that again. Right. And she's mm-hmm. making her own decisions again. Even though Oliver doesn't like them, she's in with Helix now and she's getting stuff done. Right. Right. And she is the kind of character that, like, I feel like if she is given a lot of power, like, could be frighteningly capable. Mm-hmm. Both both for the side of good, which I would, I, which is what I would hope. But I could also see that being, you know, used in negative ways. But, like, I mean, she it is could... Arrow. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it is Arrow. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, she, I just think she's, she's fascinating and I like her a lot. So, I mean, there's some other Arrow characters, but Felicity's the main lady of the season. Like, we've dabbled after Laura's death with, like, an evil version of Laurel. But she hasn't really been around. And there's supposedly a new Black Canary, but again, she hasn't really been around long enough. So it's kind of just Felicity, really, this season that has reached out and struck me. Because it's just this, really, it's a return to roots for her character. Mm-hmm. Now, in The Flash, everybody who has a problem in The Flash this season, it, literally, it all goes back to, Barry, why did you fuck with the timeline again? Oh, Barry... I mean, quite literally, I'm not the only person who said this. I know other sites have commented that what Larry... Larry. (laughs) (laughs) This is not our Game of Thrones recaps. (laughs) This was a very Larry decision. It Um, was. (laughs) Barry, again, went and fucked with the timeline. Even though this is like the third or fourth time he's had the... Barry can't mess with the timeline. It's bad. And he did it again at the end of last season. He well, needs to make Britney Spears's like his theme song. Oops, what? I did it again. Yo, that's a good one. <laughs> um, but anyway, I don't know. I could. I would kill for Grant Gustin to do a cover of that. That would probably be a lot of fun. Oh <laughs> I would pay two ninety nine at iTunes for that. Um, <laughs> yes, but anyway. the problem is everybody else is having to deal with the fallout of Barry's actions because when you go back and you create a flashpoint you can't ever completely reset that timeline mm-hmm. mm. so unfortunately the fallout everybody's feeling it but Iris and Caitlin I think this season really got the brunt of Barry's meddling um, Iris because Barry changed the timeline we know at some point she is going to be murdered by the season's big bad Savitar right in front of Barry. And Iris knows this. Everybody knows she is living essentially now on a countdown clock. And everybody else is, you know, they're training Wally, her brother, because he can be faster than Barry. They're training and training and trying to make sure that they're going to be able to stop Savitar. But Iris is stuck in the center of all this. Like I said, with this countdown clock on her head. And she handles it with such grace. And such bravery of, if I'm going to die, I'm going to make the time I have left count. Mm. That it's not like the loudest role. It's not maybe the most exciting role. But the quiet strength she has is just astounding to me. There's nobility in it. Yes. There's this very noble kind of stalwart acceptance. And if Barry saves her, great. But I think she's also, you know, made her peace with it. And that's not easy. Mm Mm-mm. So... For me, it's... Yes, we have our Kara's and we have our Sarah's and... We have our Alex Danvers and our Maggie Sawyer, and I'm not saying they don't have quite strength to them either, but Iris isn't your typical hero. You know, she is quite literally Barry's endgame. But I think for her, the strength she's shown this season, it's, it's again, it's this noble, quiet strength, but I think on some level, that has to be one of the strongest we've seen. Right. 
Right. She's a good example of how um, heroism manifests in many different ways. Yes. And on shows that are, you know, like Supergirl and Flash, I mean, like all of these shows on, when when your main team is primarily hero driven, like superhero driven, mm-hmm. um, I think that it's the non superheroes that can that can really round out that depiction of what being a hero means. Yes, or what strength actually can be. Right, like, because, yeah, strength can be running really fast. Strength can be the ability to, you know, use heat vision or punch through walls or, you know, have a lot of gadgets. But strength can also be the ability to accept one's fate without it consuming you, which is what, which is really what Iris seems to be, is that she's accepted it without it. it she's neither letting it, like, control her. yeah. And consume her, nor is she actively avoiding it and pretending it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I almost said, because I almost said it as a knee jerk, I was like, well, why can't they stop it? Wait, we already have several seasons explaining exactly why we can't yeah. stop it. Because that's who I am as a person. That's the, like, well, we have to fight against this. Mm-hmm. But then it's the, the contrast to that is her just in that sort it's sort of a like very classical feminine sort of thing yes but at the same time is it's sort of like this classical feminine strength but this, but it's also kind of woven in with this very stalwart kind of i don't want to say stoicism but um a bit a little bit of stoicism. There's another word I can't think of off the top of my head. But just kind of this noble acceptance of, okay, what happens is going to happen. Well, and I think of it as a, as a good example of of radical acceptance. That idea of, like, I have no control over this. Mm-hmm. I can either let it cause pain and suffering in my life. Or I can choose to accept that this is for all I know, a fact of Mm. life. And even if it's not a fact, I can do nothing to change it. And I can, I can instead in the face of that say, I choose to be happy with my life, even Mm. instead of suffering by forcing myself to like ruminate and obsess or, Mm -hmm. or seek control. I mean, which is what Barry's doing. She's very much the foil to Barry's like obsessive desire to change the future which really only ends up hurting everybody else and potentially even solidifying that future, you know, more firmly. Like, his, like, thrashing around and, like, refusal to just, like, accept what, as far as they know, is a fact, like, really only messes up everyone else. Yeah. And Iris, Mm -hmm. like, stands as the, like, well, instead of, like, hurting people in my desire to, like, change something that I may never be able to change, I could accept that that is true of my life and become a source of like strength and like calm and and compassion and empathy for people around me you should write an article about this gretchen that's an excellent point yeah no you should though i am going to move on to caitlin because that does kind of tie in iris obviously gets the worst of the shit stick because she's dead um caitlin they've been able to avoid this they kind of knew it was a potential with her uh, because Caitlin Snow in the comics, she's also Killer Frost, which is just this crazy killer metahuman, super villainous. And they'd avoided it in the previous timeline, and she never got the powers. Well, thanks to Barry, mm-hmm. in this new timeline, those powers have started manifesting again. Mm-hmm. And for her, it's, I want to change my future because I don't want to be this person. Like, she desperately does not want to be Killer Frost. So for her, it's not what's happening to her, but she wants to change what she might do. Right. Mm-hmm. Kind of equally futile. It's equally futile, but I it's one of those things where in the comics, um, right now actually, Killer Frost, DC Rebirth, made her a hero and put her on the Justice League of America. Ooh. And she got there by, and get this, accepting 
you know, hmm. the different parts of herself. I was right? about to say that and if I'm... you surrender to it, mm-hmm. if you surrender to inevitability, then you can sometimes find peace in that. So I'm really wondering if, because Iris has, I don't want to say surrendered, but accepted. And I'm wondering right. if Caitlin finds her resolution in acknowledging that, yes, this is part of me, but it doesn't have to define me. Right. And again, though, I mean, she's entirely in this situation because Barry fucked up. <laughs> and the mm-hmm. fact that both of these ladies can forgive him is astounding. Mm. Because he essentially put death sentences on both of their heads. Right. One is dying, one is dealing the death. And they've both forgiven him. Hmm. And one of them is living as best she can. The other one is, no, I do not, you know, I will not go quietly into that night. I I do not want to hurt people. And if you want to talk about, like, a noble fight, I can't think of one that's much better than that. Hmm. Right. So, yeah, we started on Supergirl, and we love Supergirl. We do. We do. I mean, you can't look on the fundamentals without knowing that we love ourselves some Supergirl. But there are other incredibly compelling ladies in the Arrowverse that I really wanted to shine a light on. And the great thing is, is there's going to be more. Um, There's some new stories that are being kicked around. Uh, One of these isn't on Arrowverse proper, but it's still being developed by Jeff Johns. And it's a pilot for WGN called Scalped. And I, I mean, as a native person, I am so excited for this one because they're actually casting native actors. Um, it's it's based off of the uh, Scalp title by uh, Jason Aaron, the comic series. But they're actually casting native actors for this. A Wait, plus. I'm just Which, kidding. Yeah, like because we exist. I'm, I'm making fun of all the people who say that they don't exist. <laughs> They do. You know, Rooney Mara do. is nowhere near this. Um, Johnny Depp is nowhere near this. They actually cast yeah. Lily Gladstone. It was one of the first casting announcements I saw for this. And that's when I hit the roof because I saw her in uh, Kelly Reichardt's um, Certain Women. She was phenomenal there. And um, Alex Mirez is another one they've cast. And basically it's... A modern day crime story and it's set in the world of like an, uh, a res or a Native American reservation and you know it explores these themes of power and loyalty and spirituality within this community and it kind of focuses on the chief and that's um, Gladstone's character's father as he reckons with this guy who's returning Dashiell Badhorse who's returned home after years away from the res and I really love that they're showing modern, that they want to at least show modern native life as, you know, it's the same thing that happens with when we depict China. It's this ancient Kung Fu noble, blah, blah, blah. Well, when they do it with Native Mm. Americans, we're noble savages. And I really like that they're approaching this with like, no, we want to show modern contemporary life. You can still have the spirituality components to it, but I mean... Yes, we have cell phones, we have clocks, we like Sprite, we like Red Bull, we, you know, we eat cheeseburgers. Uh, you know, we're people. Yes. We're people. Shockingly, religion can exist alongside modern technology. What? Yes. And I do think this is something that comics reaches out and bridges that divide for probably better than any medium. Mm-hmm, definitely. On letting you feel seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that goes right into the next one that we are all also super pumped for. Oh, yes. <laughs> and this one actually is probably going to be part of the Arrowverse because it's a Berlanti and co-production, uh, Black Lightning. I'm so excited. Oh, yes. my gosh. Um, the, it's a pilot right now. CW's ordered the pilot. We're hoping it gets picked up for a full order. Same as Scalped. And it stars Cress Williams as Jefferson Pierce. Um, for a little bit of backstory, he used to be Black Lightning, then he hung up his cape because he had a family. And this is going to star Pierce as an older person. 
This is much, much later after his superhero days where he has to put the suit back on. Because he's got his two daughters and one of them is, there's a local gang that is writing really hard to try and recruit her. So, prompted by his concern for his daughters, he puts on the suit that he swore he'd never put on again. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about him, though. It's also his daughters, you know. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Nefessa Williams is going to be Anissa Pierce, and China Ann McLean is Jennifer Pierce. And they're supposed to become heroes in their own right. Uh, and they'll pair, you know, the name Thunder and Lightning, respectively. Of course. <laughs> so not only it. are we getting a show about a black superhero who's older, who is being developed by the Akeels, uh, Mary Brock Akeel and Salim Akeel, who are a um, African Muslim family, and they've produced a lot. Being Mary Jane, uh, The Game, Girlfriends. They are phenomenal in and of their own right, and they're developing this. So not only are we getting an older black man as a hero, we're also getting two black ladies that are going to become heroes, and this is essentially kind of going to be their origin story. So we're getting three for the price of one. What? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. It's also distinctly different from anything else DCTV offers. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, by a long shot. Right, because it's primarily centered around, like as you said, like an older black male. Whereas, like all of the other DC TV shows that even that we've talked about tonight, the entire Arrowverse is, you know, every single they're one younger. of them was is, they're younger. Um, you like twenty somethings, right? Yeah, 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 they're twenty somethings. And though the the daughters seem to be that way, like. One of the main, you know, the main protagonist is going to be, you know, a middle-aged black man, which, um... And it's generational. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. This is very, very much a family affair, which I think is interesting. Um, we kind of see it in Supergirl, but not to the extent it's going to be seen here. Definitely not. Especially since the, with the other shows, is that the, the primary focus is on, you know, like, late 20-something, so, like, you know, us... Mm -hmm. Um, but that, um, the family is not broken. It's that the family is forefronted, mm. that he is the protagonist. Yes. He's the patriarch of the family, but he is the star as opposed to being a secondary character. Right. Yes. Right. And as much as I love, I mean, and I love shows about found family, like found family is super important. And oh, of course, I also really love to see like whole functional families mm -hmm. doing things together as a family <laughs> partly because that's not something i recognize and i think it's like great to see as far as we know that this is a like healthy family dynamic um and they all become superheroes and i think that that's like that in and of itself is a really compelling basis for a story yeah. rather than like your lone wolf or even your lone wolf who creates a team like it's nice Arrow. to have like a Right. Like, it's nice to have, like, a built-in, like, just a new dynamic. And, and hopefully it'll be really compelling. I think it, I think the basis of it is. So, it's sort yeah. of missing from superhero, the superhero genre in, yes. in general. Right. right. It's very, yeah. um, The Incredibles. Yes. Yeah. You know, that sort of vibe. Mm-hmm. Right, which is, as you said, is not, and I think that's what I was, you know, haltingly stumbling my way towards, was that we don't really see that in superheroes, even in comics, you know, mm -hmm. where the basis is a family unit that all have superpowers and, you know, maybe work together as a team um, is not really a common trope. I mean, there are some. DC, I think, is better about it than Marvel. I mean, you have the Shazams, mm -hmm. the whole oh, Shazam right, family, yeah. the Batsons. But anyways, to wrap this up, because you're going to get me out into the weeds. Uh <laughs> We don't need to be going in about Billy Batson tonight. Um, we did pretty good in this one, actually. Yeah, I, I am very proud for how much I held myself in. Um, point being, we hope Scalped and uh, Black Lightning both get picked up to order. And we're really excited to see where DCTV continues to hopefully take their female characters next season. And how they're going to wrap up for them this season. And, you know, they're just, they deserve some credit. You did good. You did good, kid. They did good. They mm -hmm. did really good this season. 
All right, so that's going to wrap it up for us tonight. We will be back with a brand spanking new episode. I'm sure it's going to be exciting, but I have no idea what it is. <laughs> Mass Effect! It won't be Mass Effect. I thought we were doing uh, Marvel. We'll be doing something. And it's going to be, yeah, doing... <laughs> be super exciting once I get my head on straight. So thank you guys for tuning in. Um, as always, leave us your comments, what you liked, what you loved. If you'd like to see us discuss something else, we'd love to hear from you. We will be back in two weeks talking about Marvel slash Mass Effect, one of those two. And, <laughs> yeah, y'all have a good night. Good night.